We are going to complete, uh, if I can complete my notes, we'll complete um, the Sermon on the Mount, the great sermon given by the greatest sermon giver ever, the Son of God Himself, who knows how to give sermons and the, in the fullest and greatest and best way. And of course, we're learning from it, we're, we're gleaning from it, we're gathering so much from it, and we're looking at and appreciating it as one complete sermon. And it's just, you know, we're getting to the point right now where really at the end of a sermon, you know, a sermon giver would usually pour out their hearts. And so right now, this is really the part where Jesus is pouring out his heart. I mean, he's talking about all kinds of practical things. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He starts off by saying, blessed are those, blessed are those. And he's really just turning the world on top of itself. You know, the, the misconception at that point was, if you're rich and healthy and wonderful, then, you know, you're blessed by God. But he says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourned. Blessed are these various wretched people. And, he goes, and you, he's talking to people. And he's like, you guys, you're blessed. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's where he starts off. And then he goes in with all his practicalities about daikasune, righteousness, the goodness that comes from God. And he talks about society and how you know, we could practice and live a you know, righteous life in society, in our families, our acquaintanceships, our friendships. Very practical sermon this is. But then he got right to this chapter 7 here. And his heart starts pouring out. He starts looking at the eternal picture. You know, and he's like, guys, there's a wide road, and this road's destructive. It's a common road. It's the expected road, and it's destructive, you know. And this road, you know, he's trying to prevent people from going down. He does not want anybody to go down this wide road. He goes, instead, it's a narrow road, but the narrow road's found by few. You know, and, and that... Jesus, I could imagine him thinking about the cross as he's saying these things. He's thinking of the cross. He's thinking, I'm dying on the cross. I'm giving my life to people in which many will reject me, while there's the few who will, you know, find this narrow road. And this narrow road, as we well know it, is the road that Jesus is teaching and preaching about. It's the way of knowing the Father through the Son. Simple as that. It's the truth. There's no other way to the Father but through the Son. Jesus says that himself. And that is kind of the sermon. And that's the part we're at right now. We're talking about the heart of the sermon. So again, Matthew 7, verse 21. And so way of review from last week, uh, we, we talked about how misery loves company. Uh, and we saw that um, in verses 13 and 14, as I just mentioned. There's a wide gate, and this gate is destructive. And there's many going on it, and they don't want to go alone. And so we're going to find, as we see in verse 15, that watch out. Watch out, Jesus says, for false prophets. False prophets are those people who claim they know God. And they tell you all about God. But they really don't know him at all. Simple as that. I mean, there's probably many people in our lives who say they know God. And they claim to speak on behalf of what's right. And what they think is righteous. And what God would want and expect. And that's why I, I, I label this in the subtitle. You know, or who do you think you are better than us? After all, no one's perfect in the society of the man upstairs. He understands me. How could he judge me for being me? And we know that kind of way of thinking. False prophets, they think 
they, they're, they're right. They're, they look like sheep. They, they, they actually might look like they have our or yours interests in mind, trying to protect us, give us a better way of life. Because they are, look like sheep, because they have sheep clothing on. But inside, there's something wrong. And of course, this here was also a kind of an illustrative, kind of sub-illustration of a greater illustration that Jesus was using of trees. Trees. Trees that are hollow on the inside or damaged on the inside. And they're called bad trees, so they produce bad fruit. As opposed to a good tree, a healthy tree, that's good on the inside and produces good fruit. And so we have verse 20. It says, how do we know these false prophets or these people who are going through the wide gate, the wide road, which is destruction, that wants to bring us with them because misery loves company. Who do you think you are anyways? Better than us? We know them. We can recognize them. We can see them because of their fruits, their behavior, their actions. And that's what verse 20 ends with. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Now, again, this is kind of a strange one because in our society, they would turn around and quote Jesus and say, but who do you think you are to judge me? Which is funny because Jesus just said that earlier in this chapter. Judge not lest you be judged. And we hear that when people say, well, who do you think you are? But Jesus also told us to inspect fruit. So we, we, we talked about judge. We talked about what he's talking about there. He's talking about blaming and condemning people. Well, it's your fault. You know, it, oh, you know, it, you're the reason why things have gone wrong. You're the, you know, and it, it's not to help a person, not to help a situation, but to blame and to condemn a person for the reason why things are the way they are. So he's not saying that we shouldn't make decisions of right and wrong. In fact, all Jesus' life, that's all he did and said. He made decisions of right and wrong. Paul spent his whole, all of his writing just telling the church how they've got it wrong and they needed to get it right. So make decisions between right and wrong is very much so a normal part of life, no matter who you are. But Jesus wants us to have a righteous way of doing it. And so he's given us good wisdom. But again, he's pouring his heart out because he doesn't want us to fall into this trap. He doesn't want us to be brought down. If you're on that narrow road, he doesn't want you to be taken off of that narrow road. He doesn't want you knocked off because many people are going to try to do that. They're going to try to grab at you and jab at you. And that's the danger here. Next slide. <clears throat> so he, he's going to tell us what the not disciples look like. They that don't follow this narrow road. They instead are on the wide road. The reason why I said it in negative, they're not disciples, is because they might claim to be disciples, but they're not. And so that's why he says very clearly in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Of course, Lord means boss, means chief, that who I follow, right? They say they follow, but they don't. Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, this is him, these are the people who are described as like being those trees with, with, with poor insides. Again, I'm thinking, Jesus is probably thinking of the Pharisees possibly at this time because he deals with them a lot and they're always on his, nipping at his heel. <laughs> He's probably thinking of those Pharisees. Later on, he calls them white washed tombs, dead in the inside, but pretty on the outside. Kind of similar to these trees we're talking about that look like trees. They look healthy on the outside, but inside they're rotten. That's why they can't produce good fruit. So he goes, these Pharisees, they say, Lord, Lord, these religious leaders at the time, Lord, Lord. But they, will they enter the kingdom of heaven? Maybe some will, maybe some won't. Depends on what kind of trees they are. Are they filled with the spirit of the living God? Or are they his? Um, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. So that's the, the issue, is the will. And really, Jesus, also, that's really all he's been talking about this whole sermon. It's really the will of the Father. What does God have going on? What's his plan? What's up his sleeve? What's this kingdom of heaven all about? What's God doing? 
Let's get on board. And he starts off by saying, guess what, guys? You are a part of that. So you're blessed. <laughs> you're blessed to be a part of it. Aren't you blessed? Aren't you glad you're a part of God's kingdom? Aren't you glad you're part of God's will? So let's talk about this dichotomy. Let's talk about this life that God's trying to build for us and our society and our families, even though many are going to reject it. Let's talk about what God has for us. It's a blessed, blessing life. And it's all about life, as we've seen and are going to continue to see. But these people, unfortunately, these not disciples, they don't quite get it. And, and, I, and I hate to say that maybe some of these people are really well-intentioned people, but yet they still just don't get it. And that's a sad thing. You know, they, even if they do a lot of great, charitable, wonderful things, and society thinks so highly of them, extraordinary things, still... It's what's in the inside. Are they, are they, are they born again? Are they, diff, are they really, do they belong to God? And it says, continuing on, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, again, hey, God, you're the boss. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and your name perform many miracles. So extraordinary things they do. But he says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew. And here it is, Bam. Wow, finally the answer. Because I don't want to be an empty tree. I don't want a tree that produces bad fruit. I don't want to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Here is the answer to the problem right here. Okay, I look like this. I say, Lord, Lord. You know, I do things on behalf of the Lord. So am I this person? I hope not. Well, here it is. Here's the answer. Here's the bottom line right here in this very last portion of this, of 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. The words to know, it says right here to the right, it's in the, in the Greek, it's the gnosko. Gnosko, it's not just information about Jesus or about God. It's not just theological theories, but it's the process of getting familiar with something or someone. It's the word that the Hebrews would use for a man and a woman when they would have relationships with one another, the gnosko. It's, getting, it's a process. It's the, it's, getting, it's the actual moment of getting familiar and being with. It's becoming together, becoming one in a sense. So it's not just having information. It's that being with each other. Now that is right there key. And that right there, I think, is something that we need to just mull over in our minds and ask ourselves, do I really know him in this way? Do I, in the sense that, like, I don't have information about him, but I love to be with him. I love to spend time with him. And he's actually doing things with me. He's actually doing things for me. He's changing me. Dallas Willard says this, because the question is, who do we trust? And that's what we talk about. He's talking about be careful of these people who are, you know, are going to lead us off into the wide path, which is destructive. We don't want to go there. So who do we trust and who do we not trust? Well, that's what it says. Those to be trusted are the ones who actually learn to do what Jesus taught was best. Calling him Lord or even doing astonishing things in his name is no substitute. Again, so he keeps it really simple. The ones who actually learn to do what Jesus taught was best. Those are his disciples. Those are his followers. Those are his students. His, the ones who learn and are being changed and changing. So, we're talking about building a home. This is House Building 101. And so, so, some things that we've learned and we're still learning that we need to consider as we plan to build our homes. Okay, four things. Number one, consider first that we're, the will of the Father is precisely what we've been talking about here. This is what Jesus has been teaching here on this hillside. You know, it's the will of the Father, like I said earlier. It's all about what God wants. Not what we want, but God wants. And as we're going to see in a few moments, or actually the number two, it's all really what our part is about being obedient to his will. So it's about what God wants in his will. 
what he's doing. And so our part fits into that by doing number two, which is being obedient to that. So the narrow gate is, it's not doctrinal correctness by itself. It's not just having the information as we see. It's actually being obedient simply to God. So having doctrinal correctness is, of course, essential and very helpful. But the bottom line is this, not enough just to know, it's to be obedient to the Father's will, which is what we're talking about. And so let's be in step with Jesus, in step. We learned that again with the, the narrow road. The narrow road is a path. It's a path you walk together. So when we walk, we walk together. We follow after and we're in step. We follow his, you see his footprints, we put our foot in his footprints. And this is a spiritual thing, of course. We're not talking about actually walking around and finding Jesus' footsteps. It's a spiritual thing, which means it, it has to captivate our hearts and minds and souls. So following the narrow road. Okay, number three. We talked about the bad tree, you know, which the insides are likened to ravenous wolves. They do not have the spontaneous and constant goodness. Of course, we're talking about daikasune, the righteousness, the goodness of the Father or of Jesus. These batteries don't have that. The insides are hollow. They're rotten. That's why the fruit is poor. And so a big part of what we learned with the Sermon on the Mount, that's of God's character, is love. Love. When we look at what to do as opposed to what's not to do, what the world does, you know, the, the love of the, the, or the pride of life, the, what is it, the uh, lust of the flesh, the, the Blessed of the eyes and part of life. Thank you very much, Danny. Those things, which I reinterpreted as I want, you know, I consume, now love me or acknowledge me. Give me a, a fancy reward for this. You know, that, that's, that's the way the world, it's consumed with itself. But, and of course, the consequences, you know, as, as we've seen before, like you know, anger and the lusts and all that different jazz, it comes from that love of the world as opposed to love of God. Which John, you know, talks about in First John's epistle. And they're, they're contrasting for the most part. So it's about love. Genuine, agape love. Love. The kind of love that Jesus shows us on the cross. The kind of love that God has for us that's just graceful and merciful. And then finally the fourth, you know, the finished product. When, we can, when you consider what, what, what's, what's going to happen. What are we working for? And again, we've talked about what Jesus talked about in the sermon. He said how, you know, don't store up your treasures, things that are important, things that matter to you. In temporal things in this world that, that where moth and rust can, can get to it and destroy it. Instead, so this is the goal, this is the final, this is our, the product that we're building, we're working for. It's eternal. So we lay up our treasures into eternity where neither moth or rust can get to it. Okay? And of course, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is his will. We pray, may your will be on earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about God's will in our lives in this world. So it's here, but it slips into. So what we want to be is disciples who follow Jesus right into eternity. And it's almost like the time of death is just happens to be just like, like a domino that falls into line. But we just live our lives for God into eternity. So concerning the kingdom of heavens, then we naturally enter into this next phase. It's fullness, you know, marked by the end of human history and the final settling of accounts. And of course, if we're there and we're following God, we expect to be with him and to see him he is our Lord in genuine and truth. And, you know, whatever God has planned in eternity, we talk about the new heavens and new earths and the resurrection and all this fanciful stuff. That's wonderful, and I'm excited to see how it's going to turn about. I expect to be there, and I am expect it's going to be exciting and wonderful. But, but we start now. We're, we're building. You know, we're disciples. We're learning. 
how God do I best fit for the kingdom of heaven? And it's final settling of counts. So continue on. When we build our homes, our houses, as you say, we're going to continue on in verse 24. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. So, some questions here that I have I put up on the, on the board so you can be privy to my notes. Is, and I, I, I underlined for the word foundation, and I asked myself, what is the foundation? Because what we want to do here is we want to protect ourselves. So we're building something, we want to build it on a strong foundation. And that's what he's saying here. And I also underlined Christ's words, putting them into practice. As contrasted to the foolish man who, according to, or in reference to God's, Christ's words, does not put them into practice. So I see a contrast there. Putting Christ's words into practice, living them out. So I put the word obedience. And really, it's in fitting to what we're learning. It fits our second point. Jesus seems to be saying, I'm teaching you something. I'm showing you the way. Now, do it. <laughs> okay. So obedience is required. So the foundation, and I put a little note here that the rock in this illustration is more than just the person of Jesus. Now we know Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the rock of our salvation. But in this illustration, it's more than just the person of Jesus. It's actually the obedience to him. So what we're building our lives upon is the obedience of Jesus's very words that he's teaching and sharing with us right now. That he's telling us is vital and important. Again, if the Son of God's going to give a sermon, don't you think it's going to be the most informative, important sermon of all time? Of course it is, because he's the Son of God. He knows what to do at all times. And so he's teaching us very important things. And he's ending his sermon by saying, now listen, guys, I just taught you a lot of stuff. Now do it. Be obedient. And if you do it, you're wise. And this house that we're building will be set safely on a good, strong foundation. As opposed to those who don't obey they won't have the guarantee of a strong foundation. And so I put another question here just for to ponder, because I was, asked, I was looking at all the different details. I wonder what are the, the rains, the streams that rise up in the winds? What, what are these things? And this is open to various kinds of interpretations, I believe. So whatever you think that might, that might be would probably be pretty close. Um, generally speaking, when I saw this thinking about, I thought about maybe trials and temptations and whatnot, which surely could be. But I think generally speaking, I think these things are actually anything in context that tries to knock us off the narrow road. Because again, the house, as we'll see in a moment here, I believe is life, the life that God's trying to give us. And that life comes through what? That narrow road that leads to the narrow gate. But wide is the common road that's destructive. So I think these, again, in context, talk about those who knock us off like the false prophets. I think he's talking about those that, the, these things, the rains and the, they could be trials, the, you know, the, the streams, it could be your know, temptations, you know, the winds that blow. And this could be just, you know, uncontrolled desires, whatever. These things that knock us off the narrow path that leads to real life and puts us into a destructive path. That's why I think these winds are my personal opinion. 
Of course, you're open to disagree with me, but you'll be wrong. Just joking. So the next slide. So this leads us to ask the last question I, I think of this portion of scriptures, and that is, what is this house? What is the house that we're trying to build? Well, again, in context, we're talking about life. He's talking about the path that leads, that's narrow, that leads to life. And we've already talked about this. The word life is zoe. And just to kind of, I con- condensed it this week. It's a reminder from last week. You know, it talks about absolute fullness of life. Real and genuine. A life active and vigorous. Devoted to God and blessed. And again, you know, Jesus is very much so, start off this by saying life. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You know, don't be down there. Be up here because you're blessed. You know, and again, I guess we have to kind of just stop and think, do we really believe in Jesus and his words? Because you have to believe it to be obedient to it. Do we really believe that following and practicing is the words he's telling us here will actually give us this kind of stuff, this absolute fullness of life? Yeah, I want a fuller kind of life. So I want to have my sin a part of it, God, you know. But is that true or is that a lie? Like the rains and the storms that kind of knock us off. I want a real and genuine life. And that means I need to be real to myself, which means I need to live for myself, even if that means entering into sinful lifestyles and practices. Is that true or is that a lie? Again, we need to believe what Jesus is saying is actually full, real, and genuine, as opposed to parts that we add to it, thinking that it's helping out Jesus and giving us a full, complete life, which actually is just destructive, which in that case, those there would be the wind and the rain and the storms that knock us off. So, again, life opposed to destruction. And destruction is, in my opinion, a soap operatic life without God and generally full of anger, contempt, uncontrolled desire, lies, manipulation, betrayal, retaliation, hatred for those who oppose them, hypocrisy, blaming and condemning. You know, okay, you know this stuff. This is stuff we've already talked about. This is all the stuff you, you, you see here, I put on the screen here. This is all the stuff that we've already talked about. Jesus dealt with every single one of these issues in the sermon. And he says, counteract all these things with love, basically. Anger. If you know, don't have anger. Don't practice anger. Don't practice contempt. But if you know somebody's angry at you, contempt at you, because you know the weight and the pain it feels like and the pressure and the anxiety that comes through those things, go and make peace with them so that they will be free from the pain. He's talked about these. Uncontrolled desires. You know, he's talking about your eye and controlling yourself. Lies, manipulation. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, uh, he's already talked about all this stuff. And we've talked about this in details in, in the last week. So these are all things he's dealing with. And I, I love to call it soap operatic way of life or soap opera. Because that's, 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 that's what appeals to the world we live in. The drama. Oh, this is what fuels gossip. This is what fuels, I hate to say it, Afternoon news programs. It's the gossip. It's the it's the it's the it's the drama. It's the disaster. It's the misery and the woe of other people. It's a feeling we get to see others. I hate to say, it, but it's even like things like horror films. It's like oh, seeing somebody hurt. There's a thrill about it, but that's not life. That's destructive. But it fuels our flesh and it's attractive to us. And it's like ooh. Well, what God promises, what Jesus is telling us is love is and in, 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 you know, falling after Christ and his words and being devoted to him, calling him Lord, not just in word, but in genuine truth, is real life, absolute, full, real, genuine, active, vigorous. And it's also a life that's devoted to God. 
So the big issue then, as we see here, is being with Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Remember the gnosko, being with him, right? Spending time with him. How do we spend time with Jesus when he is ascended into heaven? How do we spend time with Jesus? The disciples spend time with Jesus easily. They woke up, had their breakfast, they walked over to Jesus' house, knocked on the door, Jesus, come out to play, right? That's how they were with Jesus. But it's not like that. I almost said it's not as easy as that, but actually it's probably even easier now because I don't have to walk and knock on the door in a sense. Spiritually, we might have to knock on the door, but but it's, it's different. And here's how it's different. In John 14, starting in verse 15, it says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, some translations differ with where this verse should go in, if it should be grouped with the previous verse or should be grouped with this verse. Now, because it actually, I like it because it actually makes sense what we're talking about. Because we've been talking a lot about obedience, haven't we? And he says, if you love me, from your Lord and love, you know, you love me, you care for me, you're passionate. I mean, after all, you do consider yourself a lover of God. You're Christian at all. I mean, you go around telling people you're Christian, so you must love me. So if you love me, then you're going to have to keep my commandments. You're going to have to be obedient. So I, I like that putting this verse in here. It's, it fits well with what we're talking about. And then he goes on to say, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Okay, that's the parakletos, which is, means to, one who's called by your side to, to give aid to, an, to another person. And also like this word as well, a strengthener. So he's not just there to sympathize with you only or to cry at your shoulder only or to be a, a whim, something that's just there. God knows, it's just a whim. It's more than that. He's a strengthener. He's there to give you real, actual strength to embolden you and to empower you. So he will give you another helper or a strengthener that he may be with you forever. See, forever, with you, with you. He's with you, he's with us. Not just for a short period of time, but forever. That is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Not for the world. The world's empty, as we've seen. And it's it's sad. And it's quite hopeless in a sense. But with the spirit of living God, we have great hope. We have his presence with us. Uh, the world, it's hopeless without the Spirit because the world does not see Him or know about Him. And again, it's kind of hard to describe the Spirit and spiritual things to the world, people who don't know God, because they're not sensitive to those kinds of things. But for you, but for you, and I hope I'm talking to the choir here, but for you, you know Him because He abides with you. You know Him. He's with you. You experience Him. He's with you. You talk to Him. You walk with them. You take them to work. You take them to school. He's with you. This is Jesus, the Trinity. We're talking about the Spirit, talking about the Father. We're talking about the Father, talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the same God, three persons, right? He's with you. So Jesus is generally, genuinely with you. He's really there. He abides with you, and he will be with you. This is how we're with Jesus. This is how we continue to be students and disciples of Christ. Is he's our teacher. In order to be a teacher and a student and have that relationship, you have to spend some time with each other. You know what I'm saying? In order to learn, to be like this person. Like, so if you're learning math from a teacher, you want to be like that person in mathematics. If you're learning you know, a language from a teacher, you want to be like that person, then you want to learn to speak the language like that person. You want to be like Jesus, then you have to be with that person, Jesus, 
to learn to be like him. And then we see this is what happened with the early church in Acts chapter 1, and all through Acts, really. So I put a, a portion here of Acts. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There he is. Jesus, after his suffering, after the cross, after his death, is resurrected, and he presented himself to his disciples, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them for 40 days constantly. He was, they weren't just goofing about. They were, he was there. He was teaching them how to be like him. He spoke of the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And this is important because this slips into the next phase of what Jesus was doing here. Because he wasn't going to be with them like he was there. Because the church is going to grow. He, he needed to send and let the Holy Spirit come down. So he says, he gives them this, this command here. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. And this is a reference to the last verse we spoke of, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus was with disciples. He taught them. They wanted to be like him. They learned from him. Again, he died. He rose from the grave. He was with them, teaching them, instructing them for many days. And he goes, I'm going to continue this process. We're going into the next phase. The next phase is the Holy Spirit will be doing the work. And how do you know the Holy Spirit's with you? Because he's there with you, as we saw in John. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be with you. So the final slide, please. Shocking Jesus, just shocking. It says in, well, first of all, what Jesus basically, again, is saying here, just a reminder and a recap, I've got two minutes to finish the slide. Just do it. That's what Jesus is saying. And this right here, this, this, this idea of do it, do what I'm doing and do what I'm saying and follow me is unheard of from all of any of the other teachers at the time, all the scribes and Pharisees. They don't talk like that. They talk in theoretically. They don't talk in practicalities like Jesus is doing here. So in verses 28 to 29, it says this. So Jesus, when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Well, Jesus does have authority. All the other Pharisees and scribes, they're just cowards. They're men pleasers. God, Jesus is not a men pleaser. He's not interested in men pleasing. He had a mission. He was close to God. He knew God. He was one with God. So he was able to speak as if he was God. So there was something unique about it. But he was also telling people to change your ways, which I think in our society today, I think if we were to tell people you need to change your ways, you're going about all wrong, they would be offended. Because not many people do that. They might make recommendations or suggestions, but to say, yo, you're going the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing. You need to change. Oh, it's just shocking. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was telling him, just do it now. So the scribes, you know, this is a quote from Dallas Willard, you know, the expert scholars, they teach by citing others. They quote other people. Very academic. But Jesus was, in effect, saying, just watch me and see what I say is true. And so with that, in the next few moments, I'm going to read these questions on the bottom, which are application questions for us to ponder as the kids start pounding on the floor, making their way up here. Look at his fruit. Look at Jesus' fruit. That's what he's saying. He's inviting us, look at what I do. So when we read our Bibles, we kind of want to look at what he's doing. And look at his fruit, his behavior, his actions. Can we say the same thing about ourselves? Look what I do. Look at my behavior. Look at my actions. So again, we're talking about trees. Trees that are healthy versus trees that are not so healthy. And again, you know, we are called. Jesus did say, he didn't say you choose to be salt and light. He says you are salt and light. But how bright is our light? And how flavorsome is our flavor, our saltiness? 
Sometimes. I'm sure sometimes we're all right, sometimes we're not so all right. But again, it takes practice to be a good student. It takes, you know, some effort to be a good student. And as we're following Jesus, we want to, you know, put a little effort into it sometimes. It is one thing to theorize, but it is a greater thing to be. Again, you know, we talked earlier, you know, about how, um, you know, it's not enough to have theories and ideas about God, but you've got to be with him, be with Jesus, be with God, and allow him to change and move and work. And that's why we're reading these things. We're reading the scriptures, we're reading these, the Bible, we're reading the Sermon on the Mount because we want to change and be changed. And we hope and we trust that what God's way is a good way. And we hope and trust that God's doing things in our lives. And we hope and trust that we're building a home, a life that's on solid foundation. It matters, it's eternal. It's not going to be eaten away by moth and rust and stuff like that. 